0: to Healthcare du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare du jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now, here's your host, Matt Fisher.
1: Welcome back and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Jared Crapo, head of product at Calderos. Jared, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks. It's nice to be here. Uh, I'm excited to be on your show.
1: So, Jared, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of the conversation is give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So
0: the floor is yours. Thanks. Um, I've worked in healthcare technology for a long time. Uh, This is my seventh health tech startup at Calderos, and the reason why I've continue to work in healthcare is, it's just really motivating personally for me to feel like I can play some really small part in helping healthcare providers take better care of their patients. I have several long-term chronic illnesses and have sort of experienced as a patient uh, some of the challenges that we have in healthcare delivery in America. And it just, it's very personally satisfying to me to feel like I can contribute in, uh, in some small way to help make healthcare better for everyone in America. So that's why I've sort of gravitated to healthcare. I've been at Calderos for about 18 months now, um, and it's been uh, a new challenge for me. Uh, prior to joining Calderos, I've always worked uh, at companies that worked very closely with hospitals. And so this has given me a broader set of stakeholders, and I've really learned a lot.
1: So you just said that you've been through seven different startups, you know, and you know, have a personal connection to healthcare. But you know, so was that personal connection what drove you into healthcare in the first place, or kind of what what did actually bring you into the healthcare startup world the first
0: time? So it was actually uh, not that glamorous. Uh, when I was looking for my first job in college, my dad knew someone who worked in health tech and helped me get a job and I kind of liked it. And so have I've stayed there. So it was one of those kind of accidentally fell into something that I grew to love.
1: Yeah, no, I think uh, kind of those happy accidents are sometimes the best ways to get into something because it's not too dissimilar from how I ended up getting into healthcare as well. So kind of thinking about um, your current position, as you said, you've been at Calderos for about 18 months and you came from more of a hospital focused space. So what is your focus now? Kind of what are the topics that you're uh, directing your attention to?
0: Yeah. So Calderos is a company, we're a data analytics company and we're focused on drug discounts. And um, when I joined the company, uh, I came to appreciate that this is one of the larger programs or parts of healthcare that very few people are aware of. Um, It turns out that there's um, $223 billion a year of drug discounts in America, and there's a whole bunch of people that don't even know that this thing exists. Um, I certainly uh, did not appreciate the magnitude of Uh, this part of the healthcare ecosystem, and the benefits that it brings to providers and to patients, and why it exists, and how large it is. And so that's where Calderos is focused. We have products and solutions for the stakeholders that are involved in drug discount programs in America.
1: So when you're talking about drug discount programs, can you help just define that a little bit? Because as you said, it definitely is an area that kind of flies under the radar for the general public and probably even largely under the radar for a lot of folks, even within healthcare.
0: Yeah. So uh, let me give an example um, that I think everyone could relate to. You go to your doctor, you receive a prescription for a medication. Uh, These days that almost always gets electronically transmitted to your selected pharmacy. You go there later that day or the next day and you pick up your prescription and they tell you what your copay is going to be. And you pay your copay and you walk out of the um, pharmacy with your medications and that process, the payments, the insurance claim process and so on for that part of the dispensing a prescription is very electronic, very automated, highly functional and automated system. It works pretty well. It turns out after you have gone home, there's another Pretty complex set of financial transactions that take the form of rebates, adjustments, discounts that happen after the dispense of the medication has already occurred. And these discounts and rebates are programs, some of them are programs created by Congress. Some of them are privately negotiated agreements between drug manufacturers and pharmacy benefits managers and payers, but there's another world of financial transactions that take place between these stakeholders after you have left the parking lot with the medication in your hand. And so collectively, these are known as drug discounts. Uh, Let me give you a couple of more specific examples of the largest of these programs or the most well-known of these programs, uh, just so you have um, maybe a, a, a good anchoring frame of reference for the rest of our discussion. One of the largest of these programs is called the 340B program. And it's called that unimaginatively named after the section of the United States Code in which it's found. Kind of like our 401K plans, our retirement plans, also named after the section of the United States Code. Same thing for 340B. So this program was created by Congress as a mechanism to provide financial resources to safety net healthcare providers and the vulnerable communities that they serve. So in the 340B program, if you are one of these safety net providers, for example, say you're a small rural hospital who covers a large geography of patients, not a lot of patients, but a large geography, or say you're a community health center, or say you're an urban safety net hospital, you qualify under the 340B program to purchase drugs, pharmaceutical products at a substantial discount, which you can then bill insurance for just like you would for anything else when you dispense those medications to your patients and you get paid sort of the going insurance rate, but you got to buy these drugs at a substantial discount. And you can use that money to continue to provide healthcare services for your community. So that's the purpose of the program. It's essentially a subsidy paid for by drug manufacturers to underserved healthcare communities. That's a great objective, right? We want to provide better healthcare for underserved healthcare communities. This is a mechanism to increase funding for that. And so that's how the program works.
1: So I'm guessing there's a big but that comes along with that though because it you know it sounds like as you said the goal and the basic mechanisms Hit a, a great need, especially as you said, it's support, supporting safety net providers and addressing vulnerable populations. However, as I said, I suspect that there is a follow-on to that where maybe it's not quite operating that way.
0: You're exactly right. So it turns out the 340B program is one of 14 government drug discount programs in addition to the many privately negotiated agreements between commercial payers and health uh, and drug manufacturers. And uh, it turns out that the relationships between these programs, and in some cases, the lack of clarity from the government regulations that govern these programs create a lot of challenges. Um, particularly, uh, there are so many different kinds of discounts that a drug manufacturer may uh, be obligated to offer that the rules stipulate in many cases that the manufacturer only has to offer a discount under one of these programs. Well, sometimes there's no way to know at the moment a prescription is di- dispensed or the moment that a drug is purchased by from the wholesaler which or whether these discounts should apply. And so you get this complex web of discount programs and we have to figure out for every single prescription dispense, which program should apply. And that can get complicated because not all the parties have the same access to data. And in some cases, the rules are vague and there's disagreement about what's allowed Or permitted under the programs. And so that can be challenging for all the stakeholders to navigate through. And Calderos helps those stakeholders. We gather uh, uh, and compile a data set so that we can all have alignment that's anchored in the data about how these discounts should be paid.
1: And since, as you're saying, it, it can be challenging, it sounds like it's a fair extension to say that the different programs are going to have different discounts. So ostensibly, maybe the drug manufacturer is going to want to figure out which program would have the smallest discount, so it's providing the smallest subsidy
0: correct and in some cases they have the opportunity to do that in some cases the gov- the regulations that govern the federal programs specify which di- the sort of the which discounts should apply first and second so sometimes the manufacturer has some latitude sometimes they don't sometimes the government regulations for the programs indicate which discounts should apply the the tricky part is that Many of these programs require the discount to be given up front and then resolved after the fact which also makes it more challenging because so,
1: when and when we're talking about discounts you know it, what's the size of that discount typically you're kind of what's the range that it could be you know are we talking 5% 50% you kind of just you know, maybe help so, to ballpark what the actual impact looks yeah. like
0: so it depends on the drug, so there's a, a fair amount of variation in the program, but under the 340B program that we mentioned before, the discounts range from you know like 20 to 50 percent. So, if you use a practical example, say we have an injectable insulin, at a hospital might acquire a one month dose for a patient that might cost them a thousand dollars at the standard rate. If they were to go purchase that from a wholesaler. Cost them $1,000. Under the 340B program, they might be able to buy it for $600 for a one month supply for one patient. So it can be substantial, especially when you get to chemotherapy drugs, like drugs that are expensive, it can be really meaningful from a financial perspective.
1: Yeah, and then I think, as you were saying, because they're able to the purchase it at the discount, but be reimbursed at the full rate that the differential that they realize is then supposed to be reinvested into the broader delivery of
0: services. Is that an accurate summary? That's exactly right. So the insider term for that difference between what you purchased it for and what you get to reimbursed for it, we call the spread. And yeah, that under the 340B program, these healthcare providers, think an urban safety net hospital, they can use this to hire more nurses. They can use it to replace their hospital beds. They can use it to, you know, uh, attract a neurologist who can work and provide better neurology services for their patients. So they have broad latitude in what they, how they allocate the funds to best serve the needs of their healthcare community.
1: That sounds like it's, you know, a relatively clear benefit for the provider organization. I think it, you know, initially, and hopefully I heard, heard correctly, is that there can also be a benefit for the patient from the discount, or maybe not necessarily 340B, but from some of the discount programs. So what are some of the benefits that patients might directly realize?
0: Yeah. So uh, sometimes they're uh, indirect benefits. Uh, Generally, these drug discount programs, uh, do not provide direct patient benefits. So many people are familiar with drug discount programs like GoodRx, for example, right? Where you get a patient gets a drug discount card and they can use that to get uh, reduced co-payments or reduced uh, patient responsibility payments when they go receive a prescription at a pharmacy. The drug discounts that we've been discussing today are different from that. So generally, the patient benefits from these uh from the discount programs we're talking about today are indirect. So, for example, if I am a diabetic patient and I refill my insulin, I live in downtown Chicago. Our company's headquartered in Chicago. So I use that example. If I live in downtown Chicago and I refill my insulin at the hospital, the benefit to me as a patient is I can get my medication filled at a comfortable at a healthcare location that I'm familiar with, and I'm going to have access to that medication that's easy for me to get to. I don't have to find take the train out to the suburbs to get my insulin refilled because I have to go to you know, some specialty pharmacy location. I can go to the hospital near my home and have access to the medications that I need, right? So that's an indirect patient benefit, but it is a meaningful patient benefit.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a great point to raise, because then it starts to kind of account for some of the SDOH factors by looking at the surrounding circumstances for the individuals who are being treated by the organizations that can take advantage of the
0: programs. Right. And, you know, that same thing applies like at a community health center, right? If I can, with a single trip to a community health center, both have a visit with my physician and get the medications that I need and leave that one visit with all that I need. Like that's great for a lot of patients. They don't have to go make a separate trip to a pharmacy. They don't have to worry about, you know, going to find their good RX card and going to shop at three or four hospitals to figure it out. Like they can just get the, the therapies that they need in a, in a much easier and streamlined way.
1: Yeah, no, I think that, as I said, that makes a lot of intuitive sense. And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Jared Crapo of Calderos. We're talking about different forms of drug discount programs. So, Jared, we focus a lot on 340B and, you know, the benefits and, you know, a few of the challenges, I think, is you're pointing out around, you know, determining which is the appropriate discount program to apply in a particular circumstance But beyond that matching of the program, what are some of the other challenges or complications that have been seen as these various programs um, have been adopted and put into practice?
0: Yeah, so uh, I would classify them into a a couple of categories. One of the categories is um, particularly for the government programs. In a lot of cases, they're the, the guidelines from the Department of Health and Human Services are unclear. And because you have so many stakeholders involved, there's, you know, a bit of jockeying about what is the intent, what's actually allowed under the guidelines and what isn't. And, you know, in some cases, these have escalated into legal actions and court cases to try and drive clarity about what's allowed and what's not allowed in the program. So, so that's one category of issues and you know I'm not a legal or health policy expert. We pay close attention to the developments there, but we are not primarily advocating for what we think the right policy is. Our company is more focused on once we understand how the programs can work or are intended to work, how can we streamline the operations of those programs and make them efficient? for the stakeholders to operate. And there's lots of opportunity, there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, For example, um, in, in some of these programs, another example of one of these programs is called the Medicaid Drug Rebate Program. And the purpose of that program is to provide a funding source for state Medicaid programs, right? So state Medicaid agencies can request rebates from drug manufacturers for the drug products that they have dispensed and paid for for medicaid patients, right? So all medicaid patients can benefit under this program because now their state medicaid agency has additional financial resources available. They can cover more patients and so on, right? Well, in the in the medicaid drug rebate program, um it it's not always clear whether that discount should or should not apply and what the relationship is to the 340B program, right? And the only way to reconcile that accurately is to combine data from multiple sources so that we know for a particular dispense, which of these things should apply. And sometimes we need to go ask the patient's physician, or we need to go ask the healthcare provider to provide additional information so that we know which discount should apply. And so Calderos has built relationships with these healthcare providers so that they can provide us the additional information necessary so that we can determine which discount should apply. And we're trying to do that in a collaborative, streamlined, data-informed way so that the state Medicaid agency and the drug manufacturer can see in the data that, yes, in fact, this is exactly how the discount should apply for this particular patient because we have all the supporting data and the material available. And without that, it turns into a big email, Excel, phone call, phone chase game, which is not super efficient. So we're trying to streamline that process so that we can, um, in a data informed way, determine which discounts should apply.
1: Yeah, and I think, as you said, having competing spreadsheets and having to go back and forth by phone calls is, you know, other than the lack of efficiency, also just seems ripe for miscommunication or misinterpretation at some point.
0: And it's error prone, right? Did I get the right version of the spreadsheet? Like, it's just, there's lots of opportunities for error. And so
1: I think, in Maybe I missed it in there, but you know, within the challenges, you said that I think you had two general categories and it sounded like one was clearly that the guidelines are not as precise as might be hoped for. What's the second area or what's another area that you see as one of the, the prime ch- areas of challenge?
0: I would summarize it as this data transparency. And like sometimes today, there's information asymmetry between the various stakeholders. Right. So, drug manufacturers today don't often have visibility actually into which patients have been dispensed their drugs. And yet they're asked to pay a rebate for Medicaid patients. Well, they don't know if the Medicaid patient got their drug or if they didn't or if they had commercial insurance. Right. And so, by reducing information asymmetry, that streamlines the process. Right. So, generally, in that category is let's get a common understanding of the data because then it becomes apparent to all stakeholders of what should happen here. So reducing information asymmetry or building a common understanding makes it a lot easier to address these challenges.
1: Yeah, and it seems like that's probably reflective of challenges more broadly within the healthcare industry of different parties holding different sets of information or even potentially holding the same information just not in the same format, so it's not clear that they're actually talking the same language.
0: Yeah, for, for people who've worked, uh, who are familiar with the healthcare industry in America, this is a very common theme, right, that is pervasive across many aspects of our healthcare delivery system.
1: So it kind of given some of these you know, challenges with the programs, but also the underlying kind of goal of the programs, which seems positive, you know, what are... What are the views of the programs and how are, you know, what's kind of the future for the programs?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I think it's good news and bad news, right? Some of the bad news, we don't have um, the precision in the guidelines that we wish we had. That's challenging. Um, I think the good news for the future of these programs is there's so much attention on them at all levels of the federal government. I'll give you some examples of these that it it gives me confidence that we're going to continue to make progress to make these programs work better. So in the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, there are actually a number of provisions of that act that are related to drug discounts that modify or extend existing programs that bring new programs into force. Some of the provisions the drug discount provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act have already come into effect. For example, the Inflation Reduction Act includes a provision that uh, Medicare patients who have Part D insurance, so that's drug insurance for Medicare, uh, the out-of-pocket cap for insulin is $35 per month. A patient on Medicare now beginning January 1, 2023, never has to pay more than $35 per month, regardless of what their deductible or copay. And that's a tremendous benefit for the 3.3 million diabetics in America who are on Medicare. Huge benefit. So some of those things have already come into effect. Um, Some other aspects of the program are still being defined and will come into effect over the next three and four years. Um, So there's a provision in the Inflation Reduction Act that says That drug discount, uh, drug manufacturers will have to offer rebates on their drugs if the price increases exceed the rate of inflation. Right, it's a well-known and understood problem that drug prices have increased dramatically over a sustained period of time. Drug prices have increased more than the rate of generalized rate of inflation in the country. Well, now there's some limits and curbs to how much those prices can grow because they'll have to issue rebates to CMS. Now, we don't know all the details of how that's going to work yet. Those regulations are still being defined. Um, uh, there are, There's a lot of attention on the 340B program right now, separate from the Inflation Reduction Act. Drug manufacturers are really focused on this. The Uh, healthcare providers are really focused on this. There's a fair amount of disagreement about what's allowed under the programs. And I would not be surprised if in the coming year or two that we get some refined guidance from CMS. Um, So there's a lot of activity here. And as you would expect with any any program this large with as many stakeholders, there are a lot of differing opinions about what should work and what would be best for my interests and their interests. And um, But I have a lot of hope that because of the attention, because I think all the stakeholders are really focused on the purpose of the programs to provide healthcare services for vulnerable populations and underserved communities, that we'll be able to continue to figure out how we can make these programs work better and get more precision in the guidance and figure out more efficient ways to collaborate to serve the ultimate needs of these programs. So I'm very optimistic.
1: Yeah, no, and I think you're right. As as attention increases, that usually drives uh, activity, especially if there's mounting political attention. But believe it or not, we're already almost out of our time. So I'm going to close with one final question, see if you can give me a quick off the cuff feel of, you know, given all, you know, all that attention and all the different things under consideration, if you had a magic wand, what's the one thing that you would have or what change would you make immediately?
0: I think immediately, I think the the most benefit for all the stakeholders could be gleaned from more specific guidance from HHS about the interrelationships and the specific provisions of the government programs. There's a lot of disagreements about that right now. And if we had more clarity on those guidelines about 340B in particular, but uh, about all the government drug discount programs, I think that would be a tremendous short-term benefit.
1: Well, hopefully your magic wand will be able to sprinkle some hope out there. But as I said, believe it or not, we're already out of time. I want to thank my guest, Jared Grapo, for a great conversation today.
0: Thanks. It's nice to be with you.
1: And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag i I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.